Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us on this day. Please know you're always very welcome here at Trinity Lutheran Church. We've now come to the third Sunday after Epiphany, and in the season of the revealing of God's glory, we see his authoritative word in action, both in the Old Testament and in the Gospel lessons. And so for more on that, I'll turn your attention to the Focused on Christ section. On the inside of the back cover of your bulletin, a summary of, the, a summary of the readings of today's service. The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Even in the Old Testament, the Gentiles were beneficiaries of God's saving power. Though unimpressed at first with the word of God, a Syrian commander is persuaded to receive that word, and in the water he is cleansed and brought to faith in the God of Israel. Evil is overcome by good. So also in the New Testament, a Roman centurion demonstrates great and humble faith in the Lord. All he needs is the word of Christ, for he trusts that Jesus' word of healing has authority to accomplish what it says. And indeed it does. The centurion's faith is praised by our Lord above that of any Israelite. For the last shall be first, and the first last. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no salvation, not even for a Jew, only weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, just as the centurion confesses, Lord, I am not worthy that you come under my roof, but say the word, and your servant shall be healed. So we confess the same concerning the sacrament. We are not worthy in and of ourselves to receive such a great gift, that is, the very body and blood of our Lord, that he gains to come to us anyway. But he does will that we be in one confession as we come to receive his body and blood. So in accordance with his authoritative word, we ask that all those receiving the Lord's Supper this day be members either of this congregation or the sister congregation of the Lutheran Church in Missouri Synod, joining that one common confession of the Christian faith. Our service this day is divine service setting four. As it begins on page 203, we now sing the first hymn. Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth the hand of your majesty to heal and defend us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the third Sunday after the Epiphany is from 2 Kings, chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Romans chapter 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 8th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as part of this season of Epiphany, this manifestation, revealing of Christ's glory, 
we see that glory revealed in his authoritative word. In the Old Testament lesson, this is seen with Naaman the leper, and in the gospel, with the healing of yet another leper, and also the servant of the centurion. In these miracles, we see that God is for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. He shows no distinction, as his authoritative word works mercy and healing. So first, of course, there's the Old Testament lesson. Naaman, as we read, was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was great in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given Syria military victory. He was a mighty man of valor, having great strength and ability, but he was, as the text says, a leper. Imagine this, gentlemen. Yourself being a strong warrior, the Lord's blessed you with many victories, and yet you bear in your flesh an affliction that causes you eventually to lose the sense of feeling. In your members, your swords, your blood. And though you are victorious on the battlefield, you look as one who is greatly wounded all the time. Now in the Bible, leprosy can mean more than one kind of skin disease, but nevertheless, we see Naaman's difficulty. We see his affliction. Despite all his strength and honor, he suffered with this chronic, debilitating skin disease. Now according to the law of Moses, Naaman is doubly unclean. First, of course, he is a Gentile, and then he is also a leper. Upon learning from an Israelite slave girl that God's prophet was in Israel, and that God's prophet would cure Naaman, the king of Syria, he sends him to be healed, informing the king of Israel this by way of a letter. Now, imagine yourself being the king of Israel and receiving this letter, which, by the way, would have been hand-delivered as Naaman is right there before you. When this letter reaches you, know that I've sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Well, as you might imagine, the king is upset. He rends his garments, as was the sign of great distress in that time. Now, he confesses rightly when he says that it is God who kills and makes alive. However, he speaks these words in anger and also in despair, again, as he rends his garments, believing that Syria is trying to pick a fight. When Elisha the prophet hears of this response, he speaks a word that is a rebuke to the king but also then a word of comfort to Naaman. He says, why have you torn your clothes? Let him, that is, let Naaman come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman does just that. He came with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. So you can see in your mind's eye, the stage is set, right? Here's Naaman with this big entourage, and he's standing before this humble home of a prophet. So what happens next? Now, by human standards, we have to remember Naaman is very important, and he has a very important request that he comes to present. But having having heard that text already, we know what Naaman's expectations were. We know what his hopes were. He said, Behold, I thought that he would come and surely stand here and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. Naaman wants a show. He's a big, impressive guy. He wants a big, impressive healing. Break out the fog machines and the laser lights, right? Get that praise band going with some music to psych up the crowd. You see, this is the point where today, some young charismatic praise team leader would run out on the stage clapping, and he'd try to psych up the crowd and sing about God's glory, about his presence coming down, wanting to see the face of God. You get the picture. Naaman wanted a show. He wanted a spiritual spectacle. Now, he had received something that was far better, but he did not believe the word of God that was spoken to him. At least, he didn't at first. 
Like so many other pagan forms of worship common both now and then, Naaman wanted a big spiritual show because he thought that healing could only come through some kind of over-the-top, ecstatic, emotional experience, some big spiritual to-do, something that the prophet or priest had to perform in order to make the deity show up and do what was asked of him. Now, we see this with the prophets of Baal during their showdown with Elijah. Do you remember that? They were there feverishly calling upon Baal from morning until noon, even coming to the point of letting their own blood with blades, thinking that that was somehow going to make him show up. Of course, Elijah pokes fun and he says maybe he's detained somewhere, which was a very soft way of saying perhaps he's in the restroom. Instead, Naaman received the sure and certain word of the one true God, an authoritative promise of healing from the living God himself. Now, by way of Elisha's messenger, Naaman was told, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Now, in the midst of his rage at hearing this word, Naaman says, Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so, in another display of unbelief, Naaman thinks that his healing somehow has to depend on the quality and beauty of the waters that he washes in. Now, by comparison, being told to wash in the River Jordan versus the waters of Damascus, that is kind of like being told to go out on Highway 10 down to the ballast pits and have a dip versus going down to the Ozarks to some pristine spring water. But again, Naaman was given something far, far better. The sure, certain, authoritative word of God. Now, somewhat ironically, it's Naaman's servants who hear the great promise which had been spoken to him. And they told him, my father, a term of respect, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like that of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God. He had all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, this is where we get this great confession, there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Thus the Lord healed Naaman in body and soul. And we see that the power was not in the water, but in the word of God. God connected his promise to the water, and Naaman was cleansed of his leprosy and his unbelief. Now, we're reminded of the question in the small catechism regarding baptism. We're going to do something a little differently, because at this time I'll have you take out your hymnals and flip to page 325, because if you weren't aware of this, the small catechism is in every single hymnal. So if you turn to page 325, I'll give you a second. We're going to do a little catechism work, as I call it, with my sons this morning. And we're going to refresh ourselves in the sacrament of holy baptism. So again, that's page 325. Now, I'll read the questions and we will all together read the responses. So page 325, where it says the sacrament of holy baptism. First, what is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word, which is that word of God. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Second, what benefits does baptism give? 
It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Third, how can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism, that is, a life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And fourth, what does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead in the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Your catechism lesson is ended. But of course, it's never truly ended as we take up the catechism the whole of our lives, because it's nothing more than the summary of what it is that God teaches about all these things. So how can water do such great things? As Naaman found out, certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things. May God protect us from unbelief, which scoffs at his authoritative word, supposing that we or the world know better. Folks, God's word does what it says it does. In the waters of holy baptism, a sinner is washed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in that holy washing, a sinner is cleansed Restored and born again as a child of God, joined to Christ's death and resurrection. God be praised. In that washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, you were made new. And you were given a new identity, that of a child of God. This world no longer has a claim on you, and neither does the devil. You stand before your Heavenly Father with a good, cleansed conscience for the sake of Christ, saying, I am baptized. See, in baptism, you were cleansed of the leprosy of your sin, and you were given faith in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we say thanks be to God for his mercy. But we're not done yet, so we're going to turn our attention to the gospel lesson, where we're going to see the authoritative word of God in action yet again. Now, Jesus had just completed the Sermon on the Mount. The people had heard Christ's authoritative teaching. Now they would see the authoritative word of God in action, working miracles. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, St. Matthew writes. And behold, a leper, having come, was kneeling down, worshiping him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
Now, notice that the unclean nature of this leper doesn't stop Jesus from touching him. After all, Jesus created this man. Through the preaching of his word, Jesus gave this man faith. And what does faith in Christ do? It seeks out Christ and his gifts. This leprous believer threw himself at Jesus' feet and was asking in faith for something only Jesus, the Son of God, could give. By the preaching of his word, Christ had already cleansed this man's soul. Now the man desires the healing of his body, and Christ most assuredly is able and is willing. The man was healed, and so are you when Christ absolves you of your sins, cleansing you of your spiritual leprosy. Remember also that in baptism, the Lord laid hold of your sinful leprous body, and he cleansed you. He washed your sin away with his blood, joining you to his cross and his resurrection. He claimed you, body and soul, as his own beloved child. Therefore, you and all of God's baptized belong to him, body and soul. This is not just a spiritual reality. You are joined to Jesus, body and soul. Now, how did he accomplish this? By his authoritative word of promise, joined to water. In the healing of this leper, we see, as with Naaman, that God desires to save sinners, body and soul. He accomplishes this with his word. Now, not too long ago, during Christmas tide, St. John said, the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. Jesus took on our flesh in order to save us in the flesh and to take us in the flesh to himself for all eternity in paradise. Therefore, he was born as one of us. The humanity was assumed into the divinity. He was baptized in the place of sinners. And then he carried our sin to the cross and suffered God's wrath and punishment for all sin in his flesh. Christ won salvation for us on the cross where he suffered and died. And his body was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he was raised in glory. Therefore, you have been joined to Christ's death and resurrection. You've already died and risen with Christ. This is reality here and now. And we confessed this just a moment ago with the words of Romans 6. St. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. Folks, we also recite this in the liturgy of funerals, right at the very beginning, because this is the reality in which we stand, the authoritative word and promise of God in which we stand. In these epiphany readings, we see that all people matter to Jesus, body and soul, Jew and Gentile alike. In the beginning, Christ, through whom all things were created, he spoke into being the very biological process by which you and I were made. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And so it was. The Lord knit you together in the womb of your mother. You're not an accident. Even if the timing of your conception and birth didn't agree with the desires of your parents at the time, Jesus created you, body and soul. And he saved you, body and soul. And we need to remember these things. Because at this time, we remember not only the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, but that by the grace of God, it has been overturned. All have been created by God. 
So also, every human being who has ever lived is one for whom Christ shed his blood, died, and rose again. Therefore, all human lives have meaning and have purpose in God's eyes. Now, before I conclude this morning, there's a third witness from Scripture today concerning the authority of God's word, and that's the healing of the centurion's servant. Now, dear saints, if you're anything like me, when you read through this account, you're almost more impressed by the centurion's faith than the healing of his servant. But the truth is that both miracles, because indeed both are miracles, the faith of the centurion and the healing of his servant, they're both born of God's authoritative word. And we're not told the circumstances, but at some point the centurion heard the gospel, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, this man had faith in Christ. After the clear, faithful, and matter-of-fact witness of the centurion, even Jesus marveled and said to those who followed him, not truly, but he said, Amen. He, he, he said it in oath. Amen, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Just as with the leper who knelt at Jesus' feet, this man came to Jesus asking for something that only God could work, miraculous healing. Again, faith clings to Jesus and to his word. Faith holds steadfast to Christ and his promises. Therefore, the centurion confesses, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. It's marvelous. Not only is his confession great, but the centurion also gives us an example of the right use of the Lord's name, of praying for and interceding for others. Now, what do we do with the wants, needs, and sufferings of those that we love? We bring them to Jesus in prayer. What do we do with our own wants, needs, sufferings, even our joys and our praises? We bring them to Jesus in prayer. He who suffered in body and soul for us on the cross, he hears our prayers. He even commands us to pray as we learn from the second commandment. And he stands beside both his promise and his command that he hears the prayers of his people, his baptized children. We call upon the Lord's name in every trouble. And according to his will, the Lord gives peace, consolation, and healing. Now sometimes the Lord does grant physical healing for our ailments. And when that happens, God be praised, right? However, sometimes the Lord wills that our suffering remains. And although this is a mystery to us, God speaks words of comfort to our heart and minds, and he assures us that our suffering is not in vain, and that as he told St. Paul in the midst of his great suffering, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As God's baptized children, our suffering has meaning, and its meaning is found in the one who suffered in his body and soul to save us on the cross. He is our promise of forgiveness and life, not just in this life, but also the next. In Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, we see that our suffering and death have meaning because we are joined to him. By his death, Christ defeated death. In his resurrection, we see our own. As surely as Christ is risen from the dead, so we too shall rise. Now, yes, of course, the cup of suffering, it's bitter in this world. However, Jesus has overcome the world by his death and resurrection. And our enemies of sin, death, and Satan, they are defeated and laid low by the authority, power, and love of Christ, the Word made flesh. Now, regarding our suffering, it's written in the Psalms. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The servants of God, the baptized children of God, hope in his word. 
Our comfort in affliction is that God's promises give life. Now, it's Christ's authoritative word that we're thinking on this morning. By it, he has saved you. With it, he upholds you each and every day. Like Naaman the leper and the centurion, we possess only our unworthiness and sin. In and of ourselves, we bring nothing to God. But in mercy, Christ Jesus, he came to us. He took on our flesh and saved us through his crucifixion and resurrection. And now all the blessings and benefits of Christ living, dying, and rising, they are yours in his word, water, bread, and wine. All you who are weary and are troubled by your many sins, all you who are wearied by the sufferings of this world, receive what Christ has for you this day. Like the leper, we cry out, Lord, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. And in mercy, your Lord says to you, I am willing, be cleansed. In his word of absolution, forgiveness, peace, and a good conscience, these all are yours. And as we approach his altar, we pray with the centurion, Lord, I am unworthy that you would come under my roof, but only say the word, and your servant will be healed. And by his authoritative word, he comes to you, his very body in and with bread, his very blood in and with wine, and you are given his healing forgiveness. By his authoritative word, Christ heals, comforts, and he enlivens you. He then sends you forth out into this world to love and serve your neighbors. And it is in our loving and serving that we also have this opportunity to confess his word, the very same word which reveals God's love to us, the Lord who has redeemed sinners by the blood of his crucified and risen son. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, bless your holy church throughout the world that she would rejoice in you with a thankful heart. Strengthen your church so that she would not be ashamed of the gospel but confess it, preach it, and cling to it as your power for salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, bless the congregations of our synod that they would be faithful to your word and motivated by your love and compassion in all they do. Lord, in your mercy. We thank you, dear Father, for the gift of holy baptism, by which you heal the corruption of our sinful nature and save us by Christ's power. With your great word and name, plain water becomes a life-giving stream. Do not let us forget our baptism, nor withhold it from our children, but treasure it as Christ's trustworthy promise and arise daily to newborn life, cleansed by your grace. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you have raised up civil authorities over your people, including Joseph, our president, Michael, our governor, and all who make, administer, and judge our laws. Grant that they would serve with integrity and honor, having the welfare of all in mind. Lord, in your mercy. God of all comfort, look with compassion on the sick and suffering especially Earl Burmester, Shirley Dover, Chuck Taney, John Montman, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that they would know your peace and receive healing and relief according to your gracious will. Lord, in your mercy. Holy God, as we approach your holy altar to receive Christ's very body and blood, give us humility and faith to confess with the centurion that though we are unworthy to have your son come under our roof, Nevertheless, at his word, we shall be healed. Lord, in your mercy. Yes, 
Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have actually spoken your great word by your prophets and apostles. Do not let us despise this word, but in spite of all appearances, gladly receive its wisdom and promises, doing as Christ commands. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, again, good morning, and God's peace be with you on this third Sunday after the Epiphany. As we look into our week, we do have a handful of things uh, going on this, this week here. Of course, Bible study immediately following after worship, and uh, we'll continue in our study of the prophet Micah in the adult Bible study. And a thank you to all the volunteers who are helping with the Sunday school for the little ones. Uh, it's, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you for that uh, wonderful gift of service. Uh, as we look ahead into the week uh, on Wednesday, we have our midweek school and confirmation at 3.30 and followed by workout class at 6. This Thursday is men's theology on tap. And then the following Tuesday, this is one of those odd months where uh, due to the way everything falls, women's theology on tap is the following Tuesday at 7. So this Thursday, men, and then the following Tuesday, women uh, at 7 o'clock. And that will be again at the Parsonage. Um, also, adult uh, ham, choir and handbells, those are going to resume in the month of February, so stay tuned. There'll be more to come regarding uh, when that will start back up. And then also just a reminder to any youth in the congregation who are confirmed or will be confirmed by July uh, that we have the Higher Things Summer Conference coming up. That is in San Antonio from July 25th to the 28th. Uh, if you'd like to attend, uh, please contact me. If you'd like more information on the, uh, the conference itself, go to higherthings.org for more information. And the early bird registration deadline is the end of this month. So please let me know so we can get your name down and get registered and make sure that we ensure a spot for these conferences because they do fill up. Uh, they do go to capacity. Um, so I believe that brings me to the end of the, end of the announcements. Anything I may have missed? All right, seeing none, go in peace as God's baptized child, clinging ever to Christ, our Savior, and his sure and certain promises. I'll greet you at the door.